What is good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Kevo Bands Hoops Podcast, man. Back at it again today, Monday, September 7th, man. Hopefully, everybody had a nice, good, enjoyable, and relaxing weekend. Hopefully, everybody has a nice and productive week. Continue to strive each and every single day to get closer to your dreams and your goals. Continue to just work, set the bar higher each and every single day. Even if you're just getting 1% better each and every single day, man, that is improvement. Keep making improvement because a lot of people out here that are fine and cool with being stagnant and not getting better, not elevating each and every single day, man. But trust me and believe me, every single day that you get a chance to wake up is a chance to get better at your craft and it's a chance to get better in this world as a human being, man. So just keep on striving for being great, man. Do not worry about all the BS and the negativity out there in the world. Focus on the positive. Don't be optimistic. Of course, always be mindful of the negativity and the BS, but always just focus on the better things because there's always better things to life than the things that are thrown at you, man. So again, Hopefully, all you guys are doing good out there, man. As always, the coronavirus is a real deal virus, so please wash your hands as much as possible. Wear a mask every single time that you go outside. You know, if it's hot wherever you may be at, I know it's been very, very hot where I'm at in Los Angeles for the past couple days. Please go outside and get some sun on your skin because the sun does kill all viruses, and the coronavirus is no different from that, man. But as always, we are still demanding justice for Breonna Taylor. We are still demanding justice for Elijah McClain. And anybody else that's been a victim of police brutality or even worse, police murderings, we are still demanding justice, man. We are going to get justice. We are going to demand it until we get it, man. The you know, criminal justice system is terrible. It needs to be changed. It needs to be you know overthrown and you know just completely torn down and built up to be different and much, much better. So it's equal to all people, the way it says in the Constitution, in the you know, the American flag and stuff like that. So with that being said, so I want to first and foremost start this off by saying happy birthday to one of the youngest up and coming stars in the National Basketball Association, and he goes by the name of Donovan Mitchell. So it's funny, I wasn't even going to do this on his birthday, which is today, September 7th. So again, I want to say happy birthday to Donovan Mitchell. He'll be 24 years young. So I was actually going to do this podcast last week, but I decided to hold off on it. And so Really, I just want to talk about the future of the Utah Jazz because, of course, they got eliminated last week in Game 7 against the, the, the Denver Nuggets, excuse me, in a really, really, probably the best first-round series out of all the first-round matchups was between the Nuggets and the Jazz. And again, the Jazz ended up losing in seven games. And so, pretty much right after that series ended, it was announced by Utah Jazz officials and by officials, you know, throughout the NBA reporters and stuff like that, that the Utah Jazz will be giving Donovan Mitchell a max contract extension that'll be somewhere between, somewhere worth about five years and $170 million, which is approximately $34 million per season. And this is money well deserved. But I have been very, very skeptical and questionable about the Utah Jazz. I'm going to tell you guys why. Because Donovan Mitchell is a rare, rare breed. He's a talented player. A lot of people call him Dwayne Wade 2.0. And I'm not mad when people say that at all because he does remind me of a new and upgraded version of the Flash because this dude is spectacular. You throw in his athleticism, his playmaking ability, alongside the way that he's able to score the ball at a high and efficient clip. This is a dude who I believe was drafted 13th Overall, in the 2017 draft, that was a good draft class that featured players like Jason Tatum and Bam Adebayo, Markel Fultz went number one that, that year. But nonetheless, he's been averaging 20-plus points per game every single season that he's been in the league. In the three seasons that he's been in the league, he has yet to average under 20 points per game. This dude is a spectacular player. The thing with the Utah Jazz is, though, it is hard for the Jazz to 
to acquire free agents, to acquire big-time free agents at that. And so it's hard for players like Donovan Mitchell to get help. You look at a player like Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward was a stud for the Utah Jazz. People forget he was averaging 20-plus points per game under Quinn Snyder. I think he had a couple all-star appearances, but when it came to the postseason, he could not get over the hump trying to beat teams like the Clippers, um, even though I do think they ended up beating the Clippers one year in seven games, but they couldn't beat the Warriors, of course, who are one of the greatest teams of all time. And so, you know, of course, you know, Gordon Hayward ended up leaving in free agency. He chose to leave Utah and join the Boston Celtics, and a lot of people were mad at him for that, but you can't get mad at him when, it, when he put himself in a better situation to win a championship. At the end of the day, most of these guys, most of these high-level competitors in the NBA, their goal is to win a championship. They want to hoist that Larry O'Brien trophy and bring it to their organization. And with Donovan Mitchell, I'm sorry, but it just feels like it's going to be a very, very challenging task, almost impossible to bring a Larry O'Brien trophy to Salt Lake City, Utah for the Utah Jazz organization because it's just a hard destination to lure free agents to sign to. It's not Miami. It's not L.A. It's not New York. It's not Texas. It's Salt Lake City. And I don't want to sound like I'm being bashful of Utah, their fans, the executives there, the players there, you know, the entire state of Utah. But it's just not California. It's not Florida. It's not New York. It's not Boston. It's not these different destinations across the NBA globe. And so I look at it like this. You've also been in a situation where Rudy Gobert is your second best player. He's been the second best player ever since Donovan Mitchell's been in the Jazz uniform. He has not gotten any better on the offensive end in all the years that Donovan Mitchell's been in the league. He's a elite defensive player. He's probably one of the best defensive players in the league. He's going to go down as one of the greatest ever when it comes to defensive, defensive purposes. But at the same time, Rudy Gobert does not have a post game. He doesn't have a floater game. He doesn't shoot threes. He's not a real offensive threat and that's always been the biggest problem with the Utah Jazz like their second best player is a dude that's known for being a great defensive player he doesn't have an offensive repertoire like that and they need him to get better and that's my thing too I do not understand how a player like Rudy Gobert is getting paid so much money and yet he's been the same single player every single season and he hasn't gotten any better and it's the same thing with players like DeAndre Jordan DeAndre Jordan who I was a big fan of when he came out of Texas A&M. And, of course, he's been a you know a longtime NBA veteran, you know most notably with the L.A. Clippers. He had the same game. All he did was catch lobs and play you know, pretty good defense. But aside from that, he has no real offensive game. And it's the same exact thing with Rudy Gobert. I don't understand how these guys are getting paid millions of dollars to do the same things every single season. If the Jazz want to go from being an okay team in the West that makes the playoffs every year to a contender – they're going to need Rudy Gobert to step up. And that leads me to my next point. Justin Zanuck, who I believe is the general manager of the Utah Jazz, he's going to have to keep around certain players to keep around Donovan Mitchell in order for them to be successful. Jordan Clarkson was a phenomenal acquisition. I believe they got him in February. He was traded from the Cleveland Cavaliers to the Utah Jazz. Um, and really, he was an excellent pickup. As soon as they got him, I believe they went on a 10-game winning streak. And he played really, really well in that first-round matchup versus the Denver Nuggets. Jordan Clarkson is a really, really good player. You have to keep players like that. You have to make sure players like Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles are getting better. Even though Joe Ingles, I don't think, can get any better than what he's already been. I think Joe Ingles has pretty much reached his peak. But you're going to need players like Emmanuel Moutier to step up. You're going to need players like Royce O'Neal to really step up because he is an important part of this team. And really, you're going to need to get a power forward. I don't know who it's going to be. If I'm the Utah Jazz, you need to start shopping for players like Lamarcus Aldridge, Paul Millsap. You need to start going for older, more experienced power forwards because that's always been another thing 
that's been hurting the Utah Jazz. Like, ever since they lost Derek Favors, who played really, really well alongside Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, they've struggled with that power forward position. They have not had consistent, you know, minutes at that power forward position. And they've had to play small. And that's a big-time thing, too, man. And I'm just really concerned about the future of Donovan Mitchell because I just do not know what is going to happen. He is a really good player. He's one of the best young players in the league. But this is a dude... In order for him to get a Larry O'Brien trophy, which I think he is more in a high caliber enough player to get one, I don't think it's going to be in Utah, man. I hate to say that because I respect players like Damian Lillard who stayed with the team that drafted them, who believed in them, and just decided to never leave. I respect that. But at the same time, you want to try and get that ring. And honestly, I just don't think it's the right move for Donovan Mitchell. But at the same time, I do understand him for wanting to sign this contract because you got to look at it like this. It is a lot of uncertainty inside the NBA right now, going from, people forget, Daryl Morey, those tweets that he said, said about China when the NBA lost a lot of revenue, that was this year. And the NBA lost a lot of money due to the, that single tweet. So that happens. Then, of course, you got the pandemic, coronavirus. That stops the season, and they miss like four to five months throughout that. And then the season resumes, and Donovan Mitchell, again, was drafted in 2017. He's one of those players with Bam Adebayo, of the Miami Heat and Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics in that 2017 draft class that are going to be eligible for max contract extensions very, very soon. And he was not trying to risk going to the bubble and possibly getting hurt and not being able to get his full amount of money. But luckily, of course, he stayed healthy. He's definitely going to get that because he averaged 36 points per game against the Denver Nuggets. Even though they lost in seven games, he played his ass off. You cannot question the heart of Donovan Mitchell. He gave every single game his last and you got to give him a lot of respect for that too and also before i continue i also want to say rest in peace to donovan mitchell's grandmother i've seen that he lost his grandmother this this past weekend we're sending love condolences and prayers to this family and hopefully she had a safe transition but getting back to the topic at hand so i just feel like if he signs this five-year deal that will put him in the 2024 2025 season as of now, he is 24 years old. So by the time he gets out of this deal, he'll be 29 years old. And really, that will probably be in the middle of his prime. And so I think once that contract gets up, once his max contract gets up, if the Jazz aren't getting any better, because you never know. Between now and by the time his next contract gets up, you know, hopefully he signs his contract with the Jazz, it, he could end up asking for a trade. Because I genuinely, I don't want to hate on the Jazz, but I just do not see them getting any better and what they already are. It's just the facts of the matter. It is hard to get free agents to come to Salt Lake City, Utah, especially when you look around the NBA and the Western Conference has always been the better conference. But you look at teams like the Lakers, the Warriors are going to be nice next year. The Dallas Mavericks are only going to get better. The Memphis Grizzlies are going to be better. The Portland Trailblazers fully healthy are going to be much, much better. The, the San Antonio Spurs are always going to be the Spurs. It's a lot of good teams in the West, man. The Denver Nuggets are only going to get better. So it's like, Donovan Mitchell has to be very, very cognizant and conscious with his next move because I really genuinely feel like the Utah Jazz is not the answer. And I know it hurts Jazz fans to hear that because he's been such a very, very great player for them in his few seasons there. But if you want to see him succeed, if you want to actually watch him compete for a Larry O'Brien trophy, I just think he needs to do it in other places. And I'm not going to put out what places I would like to see him play for. But I'm just saying, man, this is a talented, talented young player, man, that has all the keys to be great. He's already looking like he's going to end up being a first ballot Hall of Famer type of player. And Donovan Mitchell, man, we'll see. I, I don't doubt him. I don't think he will get a Larry O'Brien trophy, you know, in Utah. But I do think he's a special player. I think he's going to have the Utah Jazz relevant for many years to come. 
But just like Gordon Hayward, I think if he wants to try and get a championship in this league, I think he's going to have to move on and go to another team that's more realistic in getting that goal accomplished, man. So that's just my two cents about it, man. We'll see. Credit to the Utah Jazz on a really good season. They play phenomenal inside the bubble. It was really, really fun to watch them, but they're going to have to do a lot, a lot of adjustments and a lot of, you know, moving, you know, have to move a lot of pieces in order to cater to the talent and skill level of Donovan Mitchell because that is one of the best young and up-and-coming players in the National Basketball Association. But moving on, though, let's talk about these playoff series. So, the first one let's talk about between the Miami Heat and the Milwaukee Bucks. So, the Miami Heat have been absolutely dominant in this series. The Bucks have had no answers for Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic, Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo, Jay Crowder, Andre Godala, Eric Spolscher. The Heat have clearly been the better team in this series. And again, they dominated the first three games. So yesterday, game four, was looked to be a really, really good game. Giannis came out. He was on fire. He was cooking. I think he had like 19 points. He was dominant. And then he gets hurt. I forget if it was early in the first quarter or, or, or excuse me, it was, I forget if it was late in the first quarter or early in the second quarter, but he gets hurt. I believe he re-injures that ankle that's been bothering him ever since the bubble started. And so, you know, I never want to see a star player get hurt, especially being a Miami Heat fan. I never want to see the other team's best player get hurt. I want to see us win fair and square. Injuries are one of the worst parts of sports. And so I'm hoping and praying that Giannis, if he's not able to return for game five, I just hope he gets healthy because it, it didn't look like the best injury. He was screaming in pain. He was definitely agonizing. And so we're hoping that he can just recover and get fully healthy because he's going to be a free agent this year. And we want him to get every single penny that he's worth. But so he gets hurt. And it seems like the Miami Heat are going to have a very, very easy opportunity to close out this series. But you have to give Chris Middleton credit. He says, forget all that. I'm not about to let us go home. We're going to stay a couple extra nights in this bubble, and we're going to fight. And that's exactly what Chris Middleton did, man. He put on a really good performance. And you got to give him credit. He was a very, very tough guy to guard. It almost looked like the Heat probably should have double-teamed him, even though I would never do that because I don't think Chris Middleton is necessarily that good. He did look like he needed to be double-teamed. But at the same time, as good of a performance as Chris Middleton displayed yesterday, the Miami Heat definitely did play down to the level of competition. What do I mean by that? First of all, when Giannis got hurt, it seemed like the Heat's intensity on offense and defense and overall intensity, it just seemed like it left the building. Like, it looked like they just did not have that same intensity. Like, once Giannis got hurt, it almost seemed like the Heat just expected to win the game and close out the series. And again, that's exactly what didn't happen. Chris Middleton said, forget all that. We are going to fight until the very end. And that's exactly what they did. The game went into overtime, but the Heat had a plethora, and I mean a plethora of opportunities to close out this game and win this series, but they just could not capitalize. They took a lot of questionable shots late in the fourth quarter. Like, I feel like Goran Dragic put up a couple three-point shots that usually, you know, he could hit those shots, but I just feel like the shots that he took were so early in the shot clock that he could have got a better shot than the shot quality that he got. And so, it is what it is. I'm not concerned with the Miami Heat at all. I do believe they will close out this series tomorrow on Tuesday in five games, but it just, one of them games, like, you should not lose that game. They don't have Giannis, who's going to end up being a back-to-back -back MVP and who's already been named Defensive Player of the Year for this season. You got to be able to capitalize off the injury and close out the series, but nonetheless, the Heat got to close out in five now. I definitely think they will do that. I, I've been saying they have clearly been the better team for majority of the series. Now they got to close out the series in five. But moving on, though, the next series, the game that also took place last night, the second game of the back-to-back -back last night 
was between the Los Angeles Lakers, the one-seeded Lakers, and the Houston Rockets. So this series, game one, the Rockets were clearly the better team. Um, and, and I know a lot of people always question LeBron in game one because he usually loses game one for some reason. But look, LeBron uses game one as a feel-out game. He wants to see the other team's tendencies, what they do on defense, how they're matching up, the type of defenses they play, every single thing that they do. LeBron uses that to watch it, break it down in film study. And then game two, he did exactly what he did last night. And that was dominate in every single facet of the game. First of all, Anthony Davis was dominant. When Anthony Davis decides to be aggressive and have his game locked in, he's a top five player in the NBA, no doubt about it in my mind. P.J. Tucker played excellent defense on him in game one. In game two last night, P.J. Tucker just looked like a little boy compared to Anthony Davis. He was killing. I think he had 30-plus points. He was absolutely dominant in the paint, rebounding, all that. And so, you also have players on the Lakers bench that played really, really well last night from Al Caruso, who made a ton of hustle plays. Rajon Rondo, who I know a lot of Laker fans were hating on after game one because he played, you know, 25 plus minutes, but he didn't he didn't play that good in game one. But game two, I'm telling you, playoff Rondo is a real deal thing. I'm not talking about playoff Rondo going back to when he was in the Celtics, when he was in his prime. I'm talking about playoff Rondo. You go back and look at the 2017 Chicago Bulls in the playoffs. They had Jimmy Butler and old Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo, and they were beating. They were an eight seed in the Eastern Conference for the Bulls. They were playing against the one-seeded Boston Celtics that had Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, and Marcus Smart. That Bulls team was up 2-0 because of Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, and largely due to Rajon Rondo. And then what happened after the second game, I believe, game three, Rajon Rondo broke his thumb, and he was out for the rest of the series, and then the Bulls lost every single game after that. Rondo has a huge impact. You go to the season after that, 2018, Rondo is a member of the New Orleans Pelicans playing alongside Anthony Davis and Nikola Miritich and that crew, and they sweep the Portland Trailblazers, him, Alvin Gentry, and Drew Holiday. People forget, Rajon Rondo was a very, very big part of that team. And so you fast forward to last night, Rondo played really good. He was getting assists. He got Markeith Morris going. Markeith Morris, I think, had four threes in that second quarter. He came off the bench and was just electric and you got to give him credit for that too man the lakers bench just really did an excellent job you know they, they you know the rockets came back from a 21 point deficit but the lakers did a good job of not letting it get to their heads and not you know just folding not panicking and they were able to stay together stay calm and win the game and lebron had a nasty you know fadeaway jumper in the lane to close out the game and the lakers playing in them black mama jerseys rest in peace to the black mama rest in peace to the young mama gg young mamba and the rest of the people involved in that accident but man the Lakers in them black jerseys, I believe, are undefeated right now. So they might want to continue to wear those jerseys because they are giving them a ton of good luck. Game three will be on Wednesday. Should be a really, really or excuse me, will be tomorrow on Tuesday. Should be a really, really interesting series. I do have the Lakers winning this series in six games. We will see if that's what ends up happening. But moving on, though, going to the last two series. Let's go to the other side, to the West, back to the West, or staying in the West, excuse me. The Clippers and the Nuggets. So game one between these two teams, the Clippers absolutely dominated on both ends of the floor against the Nuggets. The Nuggets just looked like they were tired coming off that game seven against the Jazz. They looked like they were wiped out, and the Clippers just absolutely gave it to them. From Kawhi Leonard played really, really well. You know, Patrick Beverly was back. He started. He played really good. Um, Paul George played pretty solid. Marcus Morris played really well. Lou Williams played good, and they just blew out the Denver Nuggets. Game two, on the other hand, the Nuggets definitely came out more than prepare. Mike Malone, who's a really good coach, I think is probably one of the most underrated head coaches in the league. He came out 
in game two with an entirely different game plan. And he had the Nuggets ready to roll. Jamal Murray played excellent, just like he did against the Jazz. Nikola Jokic played pretty well. He made some good passes and plays. You know, um, Paul Millsap was making shots. Gary Harris, shout out to Michigan State. Gary Harris, shout out to Gary, Indiana. Gary Harris, who came back in, I believe, in game six in the first round matchup against the Utah Jazz. He's been dealing with the injury ever since March, I believe. He hasn't played a game since March until game six of the Jazz series. He played really, really well in game two versus the Clippers. He had some big time threes. He made it really, really hard for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to get going. He's always been an excellent defender, and he's a big time piece to this Denver Nuggets team. And he played really, really good basketball, man. But if the Nuggets want to win this series, they're going to need more production from Michael Porter Jr. They're going to need more production from Torrey Craig and just an overall effort from their two best players in Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. And it's as simple as that. They got to start, you know, being more aggressive offensively. And I know the Clippers have a lot of dogs, especially defensively from Pat Bev to Kawhi to Paul George to Marcus Morris. They have a lot of good defensive players, but the Nuggets are good too, man. I'm not sleeping on the Nuggets. I do think the Clippers will still win this series in five, but I do expect the Nuggets to make all these games very, very competitive because they do have the roster to keep up with the Clippers for the most part. So that is that. The series, of course, again, is 1-1. We'll see what happens tonight. I do have the Clippers winning in five again, so we'll see. The last series between the Boston Celtics and the Toronto Raptors, which I think is probably the best series in these semifinal matchups, 1-1 series right now. I mean, excuse me, 2-2 series right now. 2-2. This is a crazy series because, of course, you know, Boston clearly looked like they were the better team in the first two games. And then game three happens. Boston still look like they were the better team. Of course, the Celtics have that breakdown at the end of the game, leaving OG Ananobi wide open in the corner for three. He hits it. They win game three. And then game four, Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka came out on a mission for the Toronto Raptors to get that game four and to tie the series up at two apiece. That was a big-time performance from Kyle Lowry. I did not think Kyle Lowry had that type of performance in him. I think he had 30-plus points. He was cooking, and the Celtics literally had no answers for him. He came out the gate just super aggressive, getting to the rack, shooting threes, getting to the free throw line, doing whatever he could do to keep the Raptors in the lead, and literally he just willed them to that win, man. So this is another series that is tied at two apiece. We will see what happens. I actually did pick the Raptors to win this series in six games, but looking at it, I'm not going to lie, the Celtics still look like they're the better team. Even without Gordon Hayward, who's still dealing with that nagging um, ankle injury, the Celtics still look like the better team. From Jason Tatum being such a bucket getter, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart's been playing really, really well. They just have a really good team. Brad Stevens is coaching them really well. I think the biggest thing with the Celtics is the production of Robert Williams. Robert Williams is a young player. I believe he was drafted either, I want to say this year um, or last year, and he's been kind of up and down. He hasn't been getting a lot of rotation minutes, but he's been a very, very good player for the Celtics in this series because he's young. He has a high motor. He has a lot of bounce. He's very, very active on the defensive end. And if he can give them good quality minutes each and every single game, I do think the Celtics will have a chance to win this series. But again, I did pick the Raptors to win in six, but I would not be shocked at all if the if the Celtics were able to win this series. But going back to the Lakers in the Rockets series real, real quick. I'm going to get you guys out of here. So going back to that series real quick, looking from the Lakers' point of view, so in game two, last night, the Lakers decided to have LeBron James guarding James Harden, but instead of LeBron just guarding him by himself, they were constantly sending a double team each and every single time at James Harden. And that is the right thing to do because the offense for the Houston Rockets is predicated on James Harden. James Harden probably takes 100-plus dribbles 
per game. And that's the thing. You have to be able to kind of not stop James Harden necessarily, but you have to be able to contain him and let the rest of his team beat you. And that's exactly what the Lakers did last night. Russell Westbrook had a terrible game, and the Lakers were literally giving him the Rajon Rondo treatment. If you don't know what the Rajon Rondo treatment is, Jay Williams kind of broke it down a couple days ago on ESPN on the countdown, does a really good job with Jalen Rose and Maria Taylor and Stephen A. Smith. And he pretty much said the Rockets were baiting, in game one, the Rockets were baiting Rajon Rondo to take shots from the three-point line. And that's exactly what he was doing. And they were saying, he's with us. Meaning, like, every time he shoots, it's going to be a miss, and we're going to get a rebound, and we're going to push push the ball in transition. And so in game two, it was reversed. The roles were reversed. Instead of the Rockets yelling at Rajon Rondo to shoot the ball, the Lakers were daring Russell Westbrook to shoot the ball. And that's exactly what happened. Russ was shooting the ball a lot from the three-point line. I think it was Jeff Van Gundy, maybe been Stan Van Gundy, who was on the call last night. Forgive me for, you know, forgetting who it was, but I love them both. But one of the Van Gundy brothers was saying, like, usually when James Harden gets double teamed, when he passed the ball to Russell Westbrook, Russell Westbrook usually is getting ahead of steam towards the rack. And he's best, of course, when he's attacking the rack. Russell Westbrook is not a lethal outside shooter like Damian Lillard or Steph Curry or Kyrie Irving. He is a slasher. And so when he's at the three-point line, he is not a threat. And that makes the Lakers defense not have to work as harder because when he's out there, you are daring him to shoot that shot. And that's exactly what the Lakers did. And that's why it paid off, man. But as always, shout out to Nuts and Bolts Sportsman. I'm a college basketball writer slash blogger slash journalist. Feature alongside a whole bunch of other really, really talented writers slash blogger slash journalists. We are on YouTube. I believe we're at Nuts and Bolts Sports. Please go check us out for daily sports news and needs content. I promise you guys, Nuts and Bolts Sports has everything for you. Whatever sports you're watching from tennis to baseball to soccer to whatever, Trust me and believe me when I tell you guys that Nuts and Bolts Sports has it for you. We are also at Nuts and Bolts SP on both Twitter and Instagram. Go show us some love. Go follow us. Go retweet. Go like some of our stuff, man. Again, I'm telling you, for all your sports news and needs, trust me, Nuts and Bolts has it for you guys, man. I'm also featured on Nuts and Bolts Sports Podcast Network alongside a whole bunch of other really, really talented sports podcasts and content creators and podcast hosters. So please go check us out on our long list of great sports podcasts. Man, again, we are nuts in both sports. Please go check us out based out of the nation's capital, man. But as always, this has been another episode of the Kevo Bands Hoops Podcast, man. Please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, and share. And if you listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rate and review. That is how we share grow and expand the podcast you guys be safe out there i will talk to you guys soon have an excellent great and productive week and keep grinding keep striving for all your goals man and i will talk to you guys soon as again peace love and blessings gone